Jack Palms in The Maltese Jordans, Episode 1. In fact, it's a crime. It's a crime. Here come the drums. It's Seth Harwood, your boy, back in your ears. Website now is patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. Head over and subscribe. And I'm bringing you the Maltese Jordans with Jack Palms. Palms. Are you a Palms mama or a Palms daddy? I hope you are. Now get those earmuffs on your kids. Yeah! Okay, that's right. It's your boy back in your earpiece once again. You know I'm on the mic. You know it's here. You know this is Cinco de Harwood and the day of the Maltese Jordans. So Jack is back. I'm on Patreon. I'm going to promise you some content. I'm going to talk about that after the episode. So this week I'm going to give you three chapters. Man, I don't even know when I'll be back. I can't do the weekly anymore. I'm an old man. I want to apologize to all of you guys for the pod fade. I know that's a heinous crime in some worlds. I'm going to give you more thoughts on publishing, tell you why I'm on Patreon and what's to come in the near future, and all that is after the episode, because right now I want to roll right into the first chapters of, I know you've been waiting for it, I know you can't believe it's finally here, I know you know this is the Maltese Jordans. No more talking, just bring it on. Oh, wait, did you want the Maltese Jordans? Did you want the Maltese Jordans? You can't handle the Maltese Jordans. It is not safe for your minivan, so get those earmuffs on your kids. The Maltese Jordans by Seth Harwood. Epigraph. Money, it's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, 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 shoes. Shoes. Mars Blackman. Part 1. The Runner. Chapter 1. It wasn't long before the bail bondsmen called. Once they heard I was hunting people, they got after me to do their jobs. If you've done any chasing, you're bound to get a call when they're desperate, which is most of the time. It was enough I'd worked with Mills Hopkins, helped the SFPD, and touched bases with the feds. These got me into their system. Call it a database. Radar. Whatever you like, it meant I was getting phone calls. Invitations. Even without having my license. They didn't care. Dog the Bounty Hunter had people crazy, thinking anyone tough could do the job, and somehow in people's minds, I fit that bill. Thanks again to shake them down. When the bounty was high enough, or if I needed the cash, I took a job. This one was different. Sure, the money was right. That was part of it. But the bigger part was the mark. This runner, he was from Hawaii and headed home. I was thinking all this over hard, chewing a straw, listening on my end of the phone to Joe Lenardi a club soda sitting on my table next to a shrimp Louis salad I hadn't touched, all this at my favorite bar in Sausalito, looking out over the marina. The sun shone down on the bay, 
and I shivered a little in my coat as a mid-January breeze blew in. Joe Lenardi was the bondsman who had the ticket. A million-dollar bond skipped out, and this Mark was no idiot, according to Joe. He's a real fucking genius. Certified FG. That's why I called you, Jack. This job needs your wits and particular set of capabilities. You tell that to the other five guys you called first? You know I did. Ha <laughs> ha. He laughed, ever the charmer. But they aren't my favorite action movie star, are they? You know what I'm talking about, eh, Jack? Jackie boy. I grunted in the positive. I'd heard his flattery before. Either I was great at what I did, somebody's favorite actor, or the man candy a guy's wife lusted after. None of them really added motivation. It was all about the money to me. I cared how much I'd be paid and how badly I needed it at the time. Right then, I could use it pretty bad. Mortgage was up, and the Mustang needed a new suspension. Joe kept on about his guy, this Mark, called Mayor Modi. A real shyster, he was saying. Embezzled into eight figures from his firm. White-collar crime. Smart-ass goes down, he spends a few years in a flipping country club, but this idiot runs. His people, all in Hawaii. That make you want to help? It did. Truth was, this was the best thing Joe had said so far. I knew I was soft to think of any month in the Bay Area as real winter, but anyone I knew had just gotten back from someplace, either skiing or warm shores, and I'd had the thought of escape kicking around in my head for a little while. My old East Coast self would have vomited in shame at the thought of running from a winter as mild as the Bay Area's. 60-degree days and hardly any rain in recent years, but there it was. Just a mention of Hawaii turned me on. So why not, he said. Or are you even still there, you fucking piece of shit has-been? Whoa, big fella. Easy now. He speaks. Thought I'd lost you. Maybe you just did. Let's not break balls here, Jack. You want this or don't you? Pays an even fifty. Seventy-five. Sixty. That was all he had to say. I needed money, and that sixty large filled the hole. So I was in. Done, I said. Email me the deets. I hung up, paying him back for his shot below the belt. Sure, I couldn't get pissy about anyone using the truth of my long-lost acting career to get my attention, but I didn't need to act nice about it either. Chapter 2 After lunch, I read Joe's email and saw the first thing to go my way. Modi's details included an address in Tiburon, just across the water, not more than a 15-minute drive. I looked across at the pretty houses, wondering which one was his. I paid my tab, saving the receipt to bill Joe for later. It was now a business lunch. I walked out to the fastback, my 67 black beauty that had once been cherry red but wasn't anymore. I had a tough cop named Alvin Shaw to thank for that. I considered the car's new color a mirror on my soul. 
Since I'd started dealing with Ralphie and brokering drug deals, the car had taken three bullets and now had a brand new matte black paint job, not of my choosing. That's what you get when an ex-black ops cop with issues tries to do you a favor. Still, it made me smile every time I saw her. The fastback, my automotive portrait of Dorian Gray. The engine roared when I started it, as sure as the weekly time I put in under the hood. Tiburon bound, I pulled out of the parking lot and headed toward 101. The guy's address led me to a big house set into a hill along the coast. Sweet views, manicured gardens, windows everywhere. This was a place for a high roller, but just one on a street of many. Nobody answered when I knocked. If the doorbell worked, I didn't hear it. I pushed my way through the shrubs and trees, cupping my hands around my eyes to reduce glare as I peered in windows. A brown sectional sofa dominated the living room, situated right in front of a 60-inch flat screen on the wall. This was a man's place with rented furniture if I'd ever seen one. Taste right out of a Renaissance catalog, something I knew more than a little about myself. It was what I saw below the flat screen, next to the non-working fireplace that made me smile. An Apple time capsule, the kind of wireless router that also acted as a memory storage and backup device. If this guy had run, he'd taken his computer. But if he enabled his time capsule and left it behind, then maybe I had just gotten very lucky. It was a lot to ask, but if he'd left this thing with his storage on it, I'd have enough to make up a big chunk of his head start. I saw no security and no wires around the window. You wouldn't exactly call Tiburon trusting, but there were far worse places to live as far as break-ins went. I slipped the lock on the window using a penknife and slid it wide. The window was on a runner about three feet off the ground, almost like a small sliding door, really. I stepped over the ledge and I was in. I crossed the living room and crouched down, touched the time capsule's cover, and felt the warm rumble of little parts humming inside. Its green light was on, so ideally that meant all systems were go. He hadn't even cut the Comcast yet. I unplugged the little gadget from its cyber and electric lifeline, detaching the little animal from its blood like I'd stolen Modi's favorite pet. I picked it up and carried it with me as I made my rounds through the house. There wasn't a lot to be interested in until I got to the bedroom closet. This was where I found one of the most impressive sneaker collections I'd ever seen in person. Sure, a few guys in L.A. had a couple of sweet limited edition pairs, but this walk-in was like something from Cribs you would see in a rapper's house or somebody playing in the NBA. I walked right in, took a deep inhale of the clean leather. That smell, unlike anything else. This guy Modi had to be crazy, heartbroken, both and in grave danger to leave such a collection behind. I crouched down, running my finger along the backs of some shoes, mostly Nikes, fingering the rough patterns on some of the soles. Many of these were clean as brand new, never worn. I half wanted to sit and wait here to see what happened to this collection. Runner or not, no matter the bail, you did not construct a closet like this without a whole lot of love. It was not something you would leave behind. Sooner or later, Someone would be back to get this for Modi. On the other hand, that might take days, so I was putting my money on the time capsule. If that didn't pan out, 
I liked having a plan B. I was in no hurry to leave, though. I wanted a good look at these shoes. At first, it was the sheer quantity of sneakers that struck me. The closet was about eight feet by ten feet, something made for a couple and full of sneakers. Custom shelves lined the walls to shoulder height, each of them filled with shoes. They covered the floor, the shelves, dominated the small space. Every one of them looked brand new, the whites white and the leather clean, like if he'd scrubbed each inch of them with a toothbrush after each wearing. That is, the ones that had ever been worn. I didn't know a whole lot about the various styles, but I knew what I'd seen growing up. Shoes that went with certain pro players in given years. Memories in my life attached to people I knew who'd worn them and when. A couple of pairs I'd even had once. Those were nothing fancy. A couple of pairs went with memorable teams. The Michigan Fab Five, Christian Leitner's Duke team, a guy I'd played against in college. I didn't know a whole lot about sneakers other than some Adidas, Bird and Magic's Converse Weapons, and Nike, and Jordan. Jordans. There were a lot of Air Jordans on these shelves. Jordans from every model year, it seemed, in different patterns and colors. Some models had a whole shelf of variations. One particular pair of Air Jordans struck me. These were the ones Allen Iverson had worn when he was at Georgetown back when I was in college myself and couldn't dream of spending the money these babies cost. They had black patent leather running around the base of the shoe and white uppers from there. Next to these was the same model in Chicago Bulls colors, black and red. That was all Jordan. Vintage. It was always, and would always be, Jordan above everyone else, above everything. These sneakers had red rubber accent around the soles and the black patent leather, then all black from there on up, with just the silhouette of Jordan jumping, legs spread to dunk it in red on the side of the ankle. These were the ones. If I had to pick a sneaker, one design, one pair, then this would be them. My number one. My holy grail. Something about the design and shape of these, the shiny patent leather, it was something no other sneaker ever had, or could compete with. I knew some sneakerheads like the Air Max 95s as the most collectible sneaker, and I saw a pair of these on Modi's shelf next to a couple of other pairs of other running shoes. And below these was a pretty pair of vintage black Barclays. But these Jordans, they would be my top choice. Modi had good taste. Of that much I was sure. In truth, I'd never been much of a collector though I tried to build a shelf or two when I was making it big in L.A. Problem was, at size 14, there just weren't enough of the great sneakers available in my size. If they'd ever been sold, nobody had them now. Not to sell, not to wear, not ever. They just didn't exist. Ghosts, some people called them. I checked Modi's pair of Jordans, already knowing they'd be too small. They were an 11 and a half, a standard size for collectors, and normal-sized guys, something Nike made plenty of in a sneaker's time. These would likely have a high resale value and look good on anybody's shelf. Shit, even mine. I had work to do, to get home and look at Modi's computer files while the trail was still warm, but I couldn't leave this whole collection behind. I pulled a small duffel bag and stuffed the Jordans, Barclays, and Air Max 95s and packed them up to take with me. When I walked out of that closet, 
I had the bag full to go with the time capsule. Maybe if nothing else panned out, these three would be enough of ransom to get Modi to come find me. That, or I'd have a hell of a few old-school display items to put in my own closet. Beyond that, the sneaker closet told me more about Modi than Joe had known. In addition to being an embezzler and a runner, he was likely a pretty good guy on some level. He was a fan and knew a thing or several about basketball. He also had a real taste for kicks. This guy could definitely qualify as what most people would call a sneakerhead, a sned, and I admired something about that. Chapter 3 Outside of Modi's house, I loaded the sneakers into my trunk and headed back to the city, going home to see what the time capsule had stored on it. I was subletting an apartment now out by the beach, off Great Highway, with a view straight out into the Pacific. Nothing to see but horizon and occasionally the fire lawns on the clearest of days. San Francisco was that rare coastal city where apartments by the beach were actually affordable. For one, you were way out by the zoo, in a no-man's land as far as getting to most other parts of the city were concerned. And for another, the fog was on top of you enough days of the year that it became unattractive real estate to most of the up-and-comers who had the bucks to spend on something tawny or attractive to most. People like to be warm. Simple as that. So I had a spot where my kitchen table afforded me a view of the water again, a second-floor two-bedroom with moldy rugs and real waves breaking outside my window at night to lull me to sleep. I couldn't have been happier with it. When I got inside, I made coffee, set the gym bag of sneakers gently down on my bed, and set up Modi's time capsule on my table to get it ready to mount onto my laptop. I cracked my knuckles, sat down, and scooted the chair in. There was the ocean, my muse, and the fog was cold enough I needed my jacket still, even indoors. Compared to Tiburon, I was living low, but that suited me fine. Turns out Modi's machine, what he'd used the time capsule to support, was a MacBook Air with a relatively small 64-gigabyte hard drive. For a password, he'd used Jordan's, which was not only taped to the underside of his time capsule, a bad security move if ever there was one, but would have been in my top five guesses. From there, I was able to start browsing around just like I had Modi's own computer in my hands. I went to Safari first and found Pater right away in his browsing history. He had been searching for flights on Expedia, SFO to Lihu Airport on Kauai, which I'd been hearing a lot about from Hawaii vacationing friends for years. Kauai was supposed to be the nicest of the Hawaiian islands. As a native East Coaster who had never traveled to our nation's 50th state, I perked right up. I also found a trail of searches on rental car agencies particular to Kauai. This guy wasn't looking at Hertz or Avis. He was checking out the prices on island rentals, and from the looks of it, trying to get himself something with real four-wheel muscle. Every search I saw was for a two-door Jeep Wrangler. This was turning into my kind of manhunt, and Modi was looking more and more like my kind of a guy. First the sneakers, and now a Jeep. Sure, I preferred something sporty for the city streets, but on an island where you might end up driving on sand? Absolutely. Time for real, four-wheel drive capability. I would go with a Jeep Wrangler, Rubicon model with two doors and a hardtop for ease of removal. Not that I spend a lot of time thinking about this sort of thing. 
Really, I didn't. Now all I needed next was a name. With a bond like his, there was no way Modi could fly out of California using his own credentials. Someone with this much money on his hands and reason to run would have a few other identities at the ready. If he was crooked in one thing, he'd be crooked in many. That's how I saw it. So I kept poking around. Deep inside the library folder, I found a special keychain access with a list of aliases in it. More than computer names or logins, these looked like real-world identities. The top two it contained, the most recent ones used, were Doug Harper and Michael McDonald. I tried to search within the computer's files for a Doug Harper and came up with gold. The PDF of a California driver's license in Harper's name, but with Modi's picture. I didn't know how he was printing them, but it looked at first like Modi was making his own fake licenses on Photoshop. Other files in the same folder showed JPEGs of passport pictures taken with Modi's face in a couple of disguises. Not good ones. Ultimately, he'd used just his regular picture for the fake passport, which was smart. His fake mustache and wig would have drummed up some notice for any self-respecting TSA agent at SFO. Not that I want to make any comments about TSA agents and their relative self-respect or competence or lack thereof. I searched for McDonald's name on the files as well and came up with a Canadian passport, again with Modi's picture. This time he had the mustache and a few gold highlights in his dark brown hair. But as a Canadian, maybe he was just acting the part. The Harper ID was better work, so I'd start there when I went looking. The next step was the most obvious one. Get myself to the airport and onto a plane for Kauai. Obvious and essential. Sure, Modi could have faked his searches to make it look like he was flying to Kauai and then didn't, but what fun would that be? For him or for me. If he was from Hawaii, had his family there, then he would run there when pressed. Other than the sneakers, it looked as if he had very little in the Bay Area to keep him around. Combine that with a fear of jail and readily available fake identification, and him running almost made sense. I considered that Lenardi might do a better job of screening his bonds, but that would keep me out of business. Also, the bigger risk bonds were higher premium and higher payoff. So he kept it up, rolled with the business, and I did the same. All the way to the islands. Oh man, Whoa. three chapters of The Maltese Jordans in the books. And I especially, super specially, mega awesomely want to thank you for being here to listen with me. I can't do it without you. I want to hear from you. I want to get back in touch with you and start doing this whole thing again. I'm sorry for being out. We'll talk more about that later. And I appreciate you being with me on this ride. This one is about 65,000 words long. And that might take us a little while. I'm committed to bringing you a solid episode or two each month. Some of you guys might like two episodes with 15 minutes of content in each. Some of you guys might like one episode with 20 to 30 minutes of content. I'm going to see what I can do. I'll do the best that I can. And this month, May, 
I'll be bringing you back another episode with a couple more chapters of the Maltese Jordans. After a little while, we'll settle into a routine here, and I will be giving you regular content on a schedule that works for us both. I need to figure this out. I can't do the weekly thing anymore. Times have changed, and from what I understand, podcasting has changed. I'd love to hear from you and know what your expectations are in the podcast realm these days. But basically, from me, I'm going to promise you content every month over at Patreon, and I really appreciate you being there to support. Please tell your friends about it. I could use some help spreading the word. I'm hitting everyone on all the social media that I can. But if you know some folks who you think might appreciate the Maltese Jordans and want to get in on the ride, tell them about it. Share the link. Send them to the Patreon. And we'll all get together to do this together. I will be talking at some point more thoughts about publishing, why I'm doing Patreon. What's to come is the entirety of the Maltese Jordans, followed by the entirety of as much protein as an egg. I've got plenty of content to bring you. I'm recording regularly now, and I'm figuring out all this stuff. Don't be surprised if the bumper for the Maltese Jordans changes a little bit for the next episode. Or who knows? It might not change. As always, I really appreciate your feedback. Best place to do that now is at patreon.com. You can also hit me on Twitter at Seth Harwood or find me on Facebook. I've got a page. But best of all is to come over on Facebook, find yourself the group that's called Harwood's Palms Daddies and Palms Mamas and join that. I feel like that is the best place for me to interact with you guys. I can post events there, let you know what's going on, and I would love to have more people in that group. Facebook is crazy. Who knows? But anyway, I would love to be in touch with you guys. Subscribe to the feed. When you're subscribed on Patreon, you can get a little RSS feed there that you can plug into your thingy. You can get the episodes, favorite them. Please press the heart button on everything that you get from this. And we'll keep doing it, you know? We'll talk about publishing. We'll talk about what I've been up to, what I've been writing. But most of all, for today, it's Cinco de Harwood. Get out there, spread the word, tell some folks about it, and all that good stuff. I'll be back more soon with further stuff. Listen to the Q&A that I posted last week for more information. It's on the Patreon feed and on my website, SethHarwood.com. Right now, the prior Jack Palms podcasts are in a little bit of limbo. You can buy Jack Wakes Up to listen to it on Audible and ACX. And the other ones will be there soon. They'll also be available on Patreon once I get that all figured out. So anyway, thanks for being here today. Thanks for helping me to celebrate Cinco de Harwood. Can you believe it was eight years ago that Jack Wakes Up hit bookstores everywhere and I thought that Random House was going to float my boat for the rest of my life? Well, my boat has had some ups and downs and it's still in the water and it's riding high and it's pretty good and there's some wind in our sails and here we are to do this together again. Everybody hop on the boat, tell your friends about it. I want to get back together again. We're bringing the whole gang back together. Get everyone on board. We're bringing the group back together again. It's basically like we're all flock of seagulls mixing with Hall and Oates. 
and we're going to do this whole thing again. Get Simon LeBon, get the other Duran Duran members. We could rock this thing all the way to Rio. And I'm definitely not going to sing that song. Thanks to Mark Yoshimoto Nemkov for the outro and the trailer. And thanks to you for being here. More soon from your boy in a little bit. You're listening to Seth Harwood. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood.